Welcome, everyone, to episode 117 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we are tackling a film that has been hotly anticipated for the both of us ever since we reviewed the first film of this director's back in 2018, and that is Anish Shiganti's next film, Run. With me for today's episode, as always, is my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, before we get to today's episode, I know you have some very big life news to share. Yeah, I mean, somewhat. I've talked about it before that I'm going to be starting a new job. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, getting real now because it's tomorrow morning when I'll be starting. Um, I'm all moved into my new place here in North Carolina. Um, Very pleased with my new arrangements. It's my first time living on my own. I have a nice, uh, nice space here. So uh, I'm excited about what the future holds. Um, So, yeah, no, no, I'm. I'm happy to be here, and now I can uh, do my podcast, do do this podcast without uh, having to worry about uh, waking up my parents if we're going too late at night or anything like that. Because that's yeah. that is a problem I've had to deal with for the last uh, eight eight months. I guess it is. It was it was like, oh it was like eight it months I was at home because I came home for a spring break and just never went back. So um, crazy, yeah, eight and a, almost what eight and a half months even. Yeah, it's it's almost like. <laughs> going to college again for the like your first year of college when you move away from home and it's like your first time being away from home um you know after you've been at home for such a long time it almost i mean obviously it's time-wise it doesn't compare but it's almost the same feeling because i gotten i had gotten used to being back at my parents house um you know over eight months and it's like oh now i have to like actually prepare my own food and pay for gas and all of that pay my pay my rent all of that kind of stuff that I didn't have to do so. There are there are upsides and downsides, of course, but uh, I will be making money, which is something I haven't been able to say in quite a while. So, <laughs> well, I was going to say that I, I mean the big life update I was leading to is that you moved, like you moved this past weekend. Yeah, you officially moved in, and uh, I, I just want to be one of the first people to congratulate you. You are you are a full adult now. I mean, yeah, you've been an adult for a while, but it only no took me twenty five years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it takes people a while usually, but no, it's exciting and obviously. Not everyone can see the new digs behind you, but you know when we record, we do get the we do get to see each other. So I get to see the new setup, the Christmas tree, and it looks awesome, man. Yeah, the Christmas tree was my was my mom's addition. I I haven't lit it up yet. I guess I I'll probably wait just on principle until like Friday, maybe after yeah. Thanksgiving is over, to like actually yeah. light it up. But um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't decided whether I'll be like my brother yet, who just leaves his up the whole year. Not not because he has any sort of strong beliefs about it, but just, I think because he's too lazy to take it down and put it away. Um, so I probably won't be like that, but, um, it, yeah, it's, it's nice to have that little bit of decor there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a qu- quick side note before we get started is that last year I had a tree for the first time here in Boston and I am a huge fan of Christmas trees. Like I love like the colored lights. I'm a huge fan of like the vibe that it brings. So totally, I don't feel, think I knew that about you. Yeah, no, I totally feel Rob on that. Um, and I almost I left my Christmas tree up until like March, until like quarantine started. Wow. Um, this past year, just because I like the vibe. 
of the of the tree itself. I don't mm -hmm. actually feel that strongly about Christmas. I mean, I, I enjoy Christmas as much as the next person, um, but I just really like the tree, the tree and the and the lights and stuff. But I guess it's a good talking point, you know. If someone comes over to your apartment, <laughs> you can. You know, actually, I think I might, have, I might have taken it down by mid February because I think now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that I was a little embarrassed about the tree up when I had an Oscars party at my apartment. So I, I might have taken oh, yeah. it down for that. Yeah. Um, but now I'm trying to figure out what to do because now that I have a dog, it's the space where the Christmas tree would go is where the dog is now. So I'm like buying a much smaller tree to like put on a don't, table. Don't buy any breakable ornaments either, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We're, we're, we're going to put the tree out of reach. We're going to put the tree on top of the crate. That's a good idea. Actually, so. But anyway, enough of dog talk and <laughs> and move, moving talk from, from us. Uh, as I was alluding to earlier, Anish Shiganti's first film back in 2018, Searching, received a rare two tens from this podcast. And so when the news hit that earlier this year that his follow-up run was set to debut in 2020, needless to say, both of us have been excited pretty much ever since that. I think it was it was kind of relatively recent news. Like it came out, I think, after we had done our anticipated uh, lists and things like that. So it was a little bit under the radar until middle of the year. But once that happened, I mean, I think we were both kind of locked into it. And following in the sort of thematic mystery thriller vein of his debut outing, although probably more thriller this time and a little bit less mystery, Shiganti's run stars Sarah Paulson as Diane, a mother who gives birth to a daughter, Chloe, played by newcomer Kiara Allen, who is born with a myriad, num a myriad number of health conditions, including asthma, heart arrhythmia, hemochromatosis, diabetes, and paralysis below the waist. The film picks up 18 years after uh, Kiara's born, or sorry, after Chloe's born, and Diane is a single stay-at-home mom for Chloe, who is homeschooled with dreams of going to the University of Washington the next year. Understandably, Diane devotes most of her life caring for and providing for her daughter, but it doesn't take long until suspicious circumstances give Chloe a reason to doubt her mom's actions and intentions. Namely, Diane ref always refuses to let Chloe look at the mail first. Chloe discovers a new medication, oh, and Chloe discovers a new medication prescribed to Diane that she then receives later that night in her nightly pill dosages in the groceries one afternoon, among other things. Scott, I'll stop there as delving any deeper into the plot might bro broach spoiler territory. And I'll simply ask, did Run live up to the high bar that Searching set or has Shigante hit a sophomore slump? I, mean, I was just thinking, you know, since you brought up that we both gave Searching a 10, I was trying to think of what other movies. I think Roma might be Roma. the only only one what about did we give 1917 both 10s i honestly i gave it a 10 for sure but yeah i feel like i would have it anyway i don't, I don't know but that just posted. we should keep a list of that we really should keep a better list of that we should probably yeah. go back and check that yeah. i don't if that would have been the only movie last year that it would have happened on i think 1917 but anyway um yeah searching is is definitely one of the movies if not the movie like from the era of this podcast that both of us i think are um will will be the drum for so heavily yeah. Um, because it, it's not just that it is so good, it's that it's so underrated, right? Like people don't know about it. And it's the kind of movie that like every person I've ever showed this to, like no exaggeration, every person I've ever showed searching to has been like, holy crap, like this movie's amazing. Like, why have I not heard about this? Blah, 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 blah. Like I've no one has ever been disappointed by this movie. And I've showed it to quite a few people, um, on different occasions. Um, and so it's it's a fun movie. And yeah, it's still my favorite movie of 2018. It's still one of my favorite movies of the decade. Um, so, I mean, yeah, obviously expectations were astronomical for this. Yeah. Because, you know, that movie, 
I think the directorial vision from Anish Shiganti was one of the main reasons that that film worked, um, that searching worked. Um, and expectations were through the roof for this. I will say, like, we didn't really know about this movie until a little bit into 2020, if my yep. memory serves me right. But yeah, because when we did our most anticipated, you know, we didn't have either of us didn't have this movie on there. Um, yep. Because, you know, we didn't know about didn't it. Know about it. Yeah. Or it yeah. would have been. It would have been on one of our lists otherwise. Right. Of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just kind of like came out of nowhere a little bit that, oh, hey, and Ishiganti's got an, another movie coming out. And then it's like, oh, wow. OK, it popped up and here it is coming out during quarantine. Uh, I don't think I feel like it wasn't quite the event that it might have been in different circumstances for us, at least. Right. Um, to have someone like that, whose first film we were so high on coming out for their second film. Again, it's a streaming release, too, so that plays into it. But, um, Scott, it's not a sophomore slump, uh, to answer your question. I think this is uh, not on the level of searching, but as I have just uh, explained, and as you can tell from you know a myriad of episodes when we've talked about searching and praise searching, uh, we don't consider many films to be on that level. And so it's not a surprise and not really a huge knock on the film that it doesn't you know, reach that astronomically high bar set by Shiganti's debut. Um, and I think this is a very effective thriller. Uh, I think that, you know, he's found a little bit of a niche here um, with these sort of domestic thrillers, um, uh, you know, parent-child relationships obviously are uh, integral to both searching and run. Very different kind of relationships going on between the two movies, which is good. Um, but, you know, that's going on. There's a little bit of like, social like thriller elements to them, right? Cause you know, you have the whole on screens thing um, that's going on and searching, you have, you know, some like on screen action, not, not as much obviously, but you have some of that going on phone calls, internet searches, stuff like that uh, going on and run that really brought me back to searching a little bit. Um, and so I think he's a very contemporary filmmaker um, in, you know, his uh, the way that he directs and, and writes his thrillers. Um, and I think that there's just a, a great amount of tension in the movie, particularly in the first hour. Uh, this is a, a short film. It's 90 minutes, which I always appreciate. I don't feel like it needed to be any longer. Um, I do think that the third act, though, is where the movie um, takes a little bit of a turn that I wasn't really that interested in. Mainly, it, it, it gets a little conventional at the end, I think, is kind of what I was going for. I, the last scene, not so much, but the last scene, I think, is, is something probably worth talking about later on, but I do think that a little bit leading up to that is is a little more conventional than I would have liked from someone like Shiganti, who I think is so original in what he does. Like I was really hooked in the movie, um, you know, for the first hour, like I said, there's some really suspenseful sequences. Um, and when the twists come, like they came in searching, like I, you know, was like, wow, that's really well done. Like I, I they, they got me, they fooled me. Um, and so I, you know, I think that's the strength of the screenplay there, right? Which he wrote with uh, Sev Ohanian, who also wrote Searching, uh, who also co-wrote Searching with Shiganti. Um, but um, yeah, on the whole, this is still a really solid movie. Um, you know, definitely in the top half quarter, whatever of movies we've seen in uh, 2020, uh, you know, despite being a straight to streaming film where you might expect something a little bit media more mediocre, I think, you know, Shiganti is too good of a director to let that happen. And look, if I'm a studio exec, I'm watching this. Um, obviously, you know, Shiganti, he writes his own movies so far. 
But if I have even a halfway decent thriller script on my desk as a studio exec right now, I mean, I think this guy's on the top of my list because uh, in terms of like this specific genre, right? The genre films, I guess, is what he's making. Um, you know, when, when we talk about these thrillers, um, he's, he's about as good as it gets right now. And he's proved that uh, searching is no fluke, even if, you know, run again, doesn't quite reach the transcendent level of that film. It, it isn't quite as emotionally affecting as searching was. I think that was what made that film. So um, well done, but it, you know, it is going for something different. I think the performances are good, especially Kira Allen, I think is really strong. Um, Sarah Paulson, I feel like is a little bit uh, over the top at times, but um, overall, I think this is this movie is definitely worth a watch. If you enjoyed searching, I think you'll enjoy this. If you just enjoy thrillers, um, if you if you just enjoy this genre at all, uh, I think you're gonna appreciate that this is something a little bit uh, different from probably what you would normally get in the genre. And you can uh, clearly see Shiganti's talent on display in this movie. So I I definitely recommend it. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree. It's not a sophomore slump, but I think, you know, not that we're not normally in the ballpark of each other on our reviews, but I think, again, with a Shiganti film, I, I think we're mostly on the same page, to be really honest. I think that this is, it, it really is remarkable, and it takes a special kind of director, I think, to be able to elicit the amount of tension that Shiganti gets from some of the most innocuous things, right? Like, one of the most, you know, two of the most tense scenes in this in this in this film are her typing on a computer and on the phone with like some random guy <laughs> like those are two of the most intense yeah. scenes in the film and most directors cannot elicit the tension that he gets out of it you know whether it's the way he composes the scene whether you know how he cuts back and forth from and the, uh, across the different angles to see different aspects of the background uh, within the particular scene and what he keeps your mind on while sort of observing the foreground. It, it's really special what he's able to do in building tension and even how he's able to, you know, establish a, a set piece. And this film, like one particular scene, uh, I thought was, was incredible. It's just amazing. Uh, I assume that it's stunt work based on like the, this ver film's version of stunt work, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, but a really remarkable scene overall. And uh, when you have the context of, you know, the actress who's doing it and Kira Allen, who, is you know a real life you know person who uses a wheelchair is disabled. It's really remarkable, I think, what he's able to accomplish. And you know, we'll we'll talk more about the performances here in a second. But really strong outing. Definitely agree. It does it doesn't pack the emotional punch of searching. And I think that's generally to be expected when you have a, you know a, a film that's set up where it's not about the positive relationship between a parent and a daughter if that's you know if that's the the angle you're going for with the emotional impact it's it's not about the positive elements of their relationship over the course of this film whereas searching you know it is it is about the relationship between you know the parent and the daughter and the and the positive elements of that and and how they are coming together and becoming stronger and so i think it's inevitable that it's not going to have the emotional punch especially with you know what you're saying as well it, it sort of trades in the emotional capital it might have towards the end of the film for you know, I'd almost say like continued twists in the narrative, right? Like there's one twist, then there's another, and then arguably there's a third too, right? And I think that's conventional maybe for this for this genre, um, but not to throw in any spoilers, although I think it's pretty much all over, it's painted sort of all over this movie, but I think like the key point around the film 
you know, that particular hook, we'll call it, it's done better elsewhere. I'll say that. Like like the particular relationship that you're dealing with with these two with these two people in the film, there's other things you should watch that's gonna have a better exploration of that type of dynamic. But but I think it's really hard to to better the amount of tension and like the construction of scenes and the narrative early on that you get from Shiganti and for the extent that it also applies to Ohaney, and I completely agree. So look, overall, not a sophomore slump for me either. A really strong outing. And if you're looking for sort of a popcorny thriller to kind of kick back and enjoy for 90 minutes, you know, over the over the Thanksgiving holiday, you're not going to go wrong with, with with this movie overall. But I've sort of held back a little bit on my comments on either Alan or Paulson. And so why don't we turn that direction now? And I'll ask you, Scott, where you want to start uh, when, as we kind of start talking about these two actresses. Uh, I'll start by talking about uh, Kira Allen, who I, and I, I want to highlight this as well because I think another thing that is a big plus in Shiganti's repertoire so far is his diverse casting, right? Like yeah. in Searching, obviously, we had Korean American actors, um, John Cho, Michelle Law, and Sarah Sohn, who um, I don't know if you noticed, Scott, but is the nurse at the end of this movie, Sarah Sohn, who was the mother, the yeah. mother in searching but yeah um, there's also the stock the the stock photo of the red-haired girl uh, yeah as well in there that, I, that yeah. <laughs> literally made me laugh out loud when i saw it and i was watching this with my girlfriend and she was like why are you laughing i was like oh, that's a stock photo from searching it's, anyway, it's real yeah. um but yeah that that was funny to see fish and chips's return as well but you know he, he had the korean actors in that movie here it's um it's you know casting a disabled person like you said um in the in this in the lead role, uh, you know, with Kira Allen here playing uh, Chloe, and you know, it, it would have been very easy to cast. Uh, well, I think there was a what a similar series on Hulu. Joey Joey King played the role. Uh, I that I think that the child was disabled in that show as well. The act, I'm pretty sure, is what it was called on Hulu. Yeah. Um, but Joey King obviously isn't isn't disabled in real life. It would have been easy to do something like that. So it's nice to see that he is. He appears to have representation on his mind when he's casting his movies, for sure. But um, I think that she's really strong in this movie. I think, uh, you know, th she definitely is the emotional uh, heart of the movie. You know, like we, we've said that it doesn't measure up to, you know, the, the sort of the emotional payoff of searching. But again, that's because it's going for something different, something darker, for sure, uh, than searching was. And I think that her range of emotions um, does get us invested, right? It's not just that she is in a wheelchair that like, oh, we're on her side automatically, whatever. Uh, it's, you know, that we get to see how scared she is at times and how her mom is taking advantage of her. I mean, you know, we're getting into spoilers a little bit, but I think you can, you can tell that from the trailer. But her, her mom is taking advantage of her and almost literally making her a prisoner at times. Uh, and so there's a fear to it, but there's also a determination, right? That in that set piece sequence that you talked about, I think is the epitome of that. When uh, you know she has to say, she has to say, "Hey, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna play the disabled victim like everyone maybe expects me to play. I'm going to actually do as much as I physically can, and then go beyond probably what I physically can even." and uh you know try to get help try to stop this from happening uh try to make sure that it does not happen again and it turns into a very strong and confident performance at times as well um and so i think that you know we're meant to you know be really connected with this character 
um, from beginning to end. And I like the way that he um, portrays the disabled character in a way that never feels exploitative or, um, you know, like he's taking advantage of, you know, the, her disabled situation for just like blatant emotional sympathy, pandering for sympathy, basically, by just using her disability. He doesn't do that. He makes her a, a fully fleshed out character. And, and so does, you know, the actress, so does Kira Allen. So I hope that uh, she will continue to be cast um, in, you know, ver various roles, um, because I think this type of representation matters, you know, all, as much as other types that maybe we talk more about, uh, you know, it, racial, whether it's racial diversity, gender diversity, whatever, I think uh, showing disabled people on screen is also, you know, very important to destroying the stigmas that a lot of people have in society about these types of people. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that she's really the standout for me. I mean, Sarah Paulson is, I mean, at this point, I know she may not be A-list, really, but I mean, she's a really strong character actress. She's been in the game with a lot of TV shows, playing a lot of very eccentric characters. And she's tasked with an eccentric character here that I want to talk about in, in a minute, because you did mention your kind of high level thoughts briefly in your general impressions. But Kira Allen really does feel like the the heart of the film, right? Like I think John Cho is really that in in searching. And in some ways, although you know, almost completely different characters in that, you know, she's the child in the in the relationship and he was, of course, the parent in searching, but she really feels like she has just as much heart as as you sort of see in this dad looking for his daughter, whereas it, this daughter is just trying to, you know, mature and be an adult in, in a way that feels like authentic to her. Like that really is like the, the the journey of this story is that, you know, taking ownership over a life that, you know, on paper, many people today might say, you know, I don't know how this person functions independently, honestly, with all the conditions that she has and all the care that she uh, and that she requires in, in, in many ways. But I think you see her both, you know, literally fighting for that over the course of the movie, but also in, in a way, I think almost spiritually, like this whole idea of going to college, things like that. You really get a lot of that um, vibe from her. And I really love that about the character. And I think she embodies that really authentically too. And I said in my letterbox review, Scott, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but she really gave me a lot of Caitlin Deaver energy in this role. And that's a huge plus for me. You know, obviously they are different people and they're different and they have different styles, I think as well. But I really got a lot of good energy from her in this role. And it reminded me a lot of, you know, what I've seen of Caitlin Deaver in terms of like the authenticity and, and uh, of the performance that I, I feel like she has really given in, you know, the two most recent things that I've seen her in, namely Unbelievable. And uh, of course, Booksmart last year as well. I know she's been in some other things, which I haven't seen, but overall, the, you know, those two most recent things that I've seen her in, they, I think it really, really nails it for me. And I, lo I love this performance. I really did. And the fact that she goes through, again, sort of this very, in many ways, non-physical journey of like, she is, you know, bound to this wheelchair for a good part of the film. And you have to go through this psychological, emotional journey with her. And then there are moments where it becomes a very physical journey for her as well. And I love that we got both of those elements in this role. And then it felt natural to get both of those elements in this role as well. So I really don't have uh, much negative to say about this one. She's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and I was just thinking about, you know, you're comparing her to John Cho and John Cho's character. 
somewhat um, in searching. And yeah, there in both movies, there's a certain like extent where like the main character is kind of powerless in the situation that they find themselves in. And I think that's where a lot of the suspense comes from. I mean, here, obviously she is, you know, physically powerless in a lot of ways um, to, you know, really do with her situation, what she might be able to do if she had the full use of her legs and everything like that. And, you know, thinking back to searching, you know, John Cho, he's just the dad, right? He's not part of the investigation. Uh, he's finding all of this stuff out about his daughter that, oh, hey, if he if he had actually acted differently, maybe and uh, tried to connect more with her in the past, then this whole situation wouldn't have happened. But now, you know, he's powerless to deal with that. So I think that's kind of a running theme through both of the movies um, that I think both actors convey really well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that, I think I don't really have too much more to add there. So if you want to move on and talk about your more of your thoughts on Sarah Paulson as well, because you said that she you thought she was a little bit over the top, at least in some portions of the movie. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, over the top. Yes, I think so. But also, I just think that once we get to the third act of the movie and like, you know, this character is fully out in the open who she is. It's like. I feel like I've just seen this character before. And maybe this goes back to what you were saying at, at the start. I mean, this is like, this is Kathy Bates in Misery, or this is, I'm trying to think of, you know, other examples of like the- Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, like go, going kind of, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, frankly, because I do think it's almost readable in the trailer. But for those who are sensitive to it and really don't want any sort of hint about what's going on here, I mean, look, like this character of Diane is very much, you know, kind of the- the textbook almost movie archetype of the Munchausen by proxy sort of relationship with your daughter. And, you know, you see that in misery, you see that, isn't that what was happening in the sixth sense too? I haven't seen the sixth sense, but I think, isn't that when the parent is trying to like keep the kids sick? I, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. Maybe I'm misspeaking there, but I, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't think so, but yeah. Okay. Maybe not. Um, but you know, sharp objects is a, there's a, is a really recent example of that as well. And like, frankly, you know, the Patricia Art, is it Patricia? No, it's not Patricia, Patricia Clarkson. Patricia Clarkson, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 Patricia Clarkson. That character is much more interesting from this perspective, much more nuanced. And I, I agree, like, I think if you wrote, if you ask someone on the street what Munchausen by proxy is, like, you get this, like, psycho character, right, of, like, a mom, like Sarah Paulson is in this movie. And I think ultimately, and maybe this is the point you're getting at, it's just not that interesting when you get to the third act and, and like, the gloves come off and you see the full extent of the character. Whereas and there are other iterations of that that I think are a lot more interesting. And I just think when you get to that part of, you know, part of the road that when you get to the end of the road with this character, there's not really that much Sarah Paulson can do to make this character interesting for me, at least. Yeah. I will say like the reveal of like why she is doing what she, you know, has what we eventually find out she has done. Um, that worked, that worked for me. Like I, I, I found that surprising and, um, you know, I think that that worked to, you know, establish why she is acting the way that she is, but I still don't think that that, like that alone, that motivation, uh, for her character is enough to take it into something, into the realm of something really original. I think that like the, the best parts of her performance, again, come in that, that first half of the movie when she is the ostensibly caring mother with just like, there's something that's just not quite right. There's something that's slightly off. And I think, yeah. She does a good job of holding back in that in the first part of the movie. It's just like you said, when the gloves come off, when we yeah. know who this character is, that she decides to just sort of dial it up to a level that is 
both over the top and that we've seen before. So. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Scott, everything everything after the mail the mailman scene, right? Like everything after that is just like toe. It's that character is just like dialed up to eleven at that point, yeah. and it becomes a little bit incredulous and unbelievable. I think at that point. Um, but before that, I think Sarah Paulson's hitting the right note, right? Like she's she's giving you this sense of unease, even though she, ostensibly, you know, she is like this altruistic mother who has dropped everything in her life to start like this, like, you know, to live independently on this sort of like home farm sort of in the backyard and be able to provide, even though she doesn't have a job or, or she's like a substitute teacher. So she's only working, you know, every once in a while. It's it, it really does paint this sort of dueling picture early on of like, wow, this person's a really great mother, but something feels off in it and it, it works well for a while. And then the narrative of the story, and maybe this is going back to the whole idea that the narrative in searching makes things more emotionally interesting and provides this level of nuance that leads you to a place that's much more, honestly, much more gratifying. Right. And ultimately this narrative pushes you in a direction that leads you to a place that probably is not that gratifying and certainly has been, has been trod many times before. Again, there's the final scene. Definitely want to talk about that in a little bit that adds a layer to it. But overall, I think it's a it's a good performance from Sarah Paulson, but the character maybe lets her down a little bit towards the end and and, and sort of puts a threshold on what's on what she's able to do with it. Yeah. All right, Scott, moving on to the plot, you know, we we broke this the sort of spoiler on the whole Munchausen by proxy here. So we can talk more about that if you'd like. Again, wasn't a huge spoiler. Honestly, I think most of that is read pretty easily in the trailer, uh, frankly. But there are there is a very natural progression of this movie, right? It escalates, you know, tension wise over and over. And then it does reach some might say the level of the absurd when it comes to the third act around the links that Diane is going to, to keep her daughter within her grasp for lack of a better phrase to put it. And overall, Scott, I think that again, for that first hour that you're talking about, and again, I like to say pretty much everything pre the sort of mailman scene in the movie the escalating tension is amazing. Like it really is searching level tension and even maybe better at times, but the way they're able to capture things, you know, you have these moments where Chloe is doing these very innocent things like trying to get the mail or going to the groceries to look for the chocolates, right? Where, you know, she discovers these things that back, like she goes to the pharmacy and the this, this scene where there's like, she's just trying to get this pharmacist to tell her what the pill is um, and builds, it builds in that way. And that's all really amazing. So I want to get more of your thoughts about how that works because it really works well for me. And then let's talk about the twists as well in the second half of the movie. Yeah, those those discovery moments, right? Those are some of one yeah. of the, the strong parts of, of searching too. I mean, I still think that's about right. that moment, like where there were audible gasps at the end when he's uh, in the in the email in the from video. the funeral, uh, yeah. you know, from the funeral place and, you know, clicks on the link or whatever and the add with fish and chips comes the picture of the girl comes up. Yeah. Um, and then you, and then you, and then you see the side by side of the video of the guy committing suicide and the photo of Vic. And, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, right. The, yeah. The guy that she, uh, she knew from before, but yeah, but so, so there are some of those moments in the first half of the story, which is where you're talking about it. And I think they are really effective. Uh, like, I think it's, clever the way that she just decides to like just call up a random person and get them to Google search this, uh, this pill because, you know, she tries to look it up the first time and her mom has shut off the uh, internet. There's this really like literally like straight out of a horror movie shot where 
G is like at the computer, it says no internet. And then it's like cuts to yeah. the hall, like d- down the hall. And there's her mom standing there, like watching her in the shadows. Oh, it's so creepy to see. Cause you can also yeah. see her in the background when she's walking down the stairs and it's so freaking creepy. Oh, I man. think the, uh, the music at times was a little bit much in this movie. Uh, I, I will say that is one area that I, I do. I have a little bit of a critique of, but like there are times when it's like, it, it will cut to Sarah Paulson or something. It's like, you know, with the strings or whatever, it's like so super dramatic. And I was like, okay, whatever. But, um, and I think, I think maybe it did that in that moment, but it's still a good moment. And yeah, you know, the, the phone stuff is good. The, um, you know, the, on the computer and then that whole set piece, right? Like that is, um, really high, high level, like imagination to come up with a scene like that, where she literally, you know, she crawls out of her window. She, you know, has to crawl, you know, over to the other room. And then, you know, on top of that starts having an asthma attack, right? And has to crawl and find her inhaler after that. Yeah. Um, and what was it that she had in her mouth that she's like used to break the window? Because that was crazy. She, when that yeah, happened. so I was trying to figure out why she was bringing all these things with her outside. Because she had yeah, like, the, it's like what did she have in her mouth? She had she, she had the soldering iron to superheat the window. And then right. she had water in her mouth to spit on the window to crack the glass once it was See, soldered. See, that's just like, yeah, again, imaginative. Like, uh, not everyone th- would think of that. Um, and But like, And then know, she that, got the blanket to land on with the, gla- with the broken glass. It, it may sound overly elaborate, right? But when you have someone who's in the position that she is in, like, you know, th- these this is what she has to do, right? Like, the, these are the types of things that someone in her position, being physically disabled, who's not able to just, you know get up, walk out the window, crawl along the roof, whatever. Um, you know, you have to come up with sort of alternative um, ways to to move around. And I think that she's a very assertive character and uh, that shows in this in this sequence. And then you yeah, have the asthma attack, you know, having to crawl to find her inhaler. It's like, man, uh, rough life that she's living. Um, and so I, I think all, all of that stuff is really good, really original. Um, again, I, I like... I like the reveal spoilers, I guess that, you know, she's not Sarah Paulson's daughter, right? Like we get the yeah. brief shot at the start of the movie of Sarah Paulson in front of the, the obviously like baby she's getting birth, pretty, right? prematurely yeah. born, it looks like. Um, and, you know, is crying and she's like, is she going to be okay or whatever? And then it cuts into the movie and you're like, Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's okay. a good setup. It's a good setup, right? Because, you know, you see the, the baby and, but then, and then you see her with the disabled. Next thing you see is her with the disabled daughter, and you're like, "Oh, okay, th- that makes sense." You know, the baby was premature, but and the as the result of that is that she's disabled, right? Like it doesn't enter your mind that the baby might have died because it's you know it's a good setup, and then you realize, no, wait, actually, uh, her her baby did die, and this is another girl that she has found that was not disabled, and because of these pills, has basically rendered her paralyzed. Uh, by numbing her legs and yeah it's it goes down a really dark uh path but i i thought that was a good reveal again it worked on me and then after that point i think like once we get to like the hospital and stuff like that that is where i felt like and the movie it gets a little convention conventional in the hospital sequence and then in that last scene that very final scene I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. It's just, it, it's a little, I'm not it's sure. Very, it's it, a phantom it, thread of it. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth a little bit, which I, I 
don't know if that's the type of movie that this should be, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but we can get there. Yeah. I mean, look, I I think that that twist, I mean, look, that second twist that you're talking about there, the, the twist that she's not actually Diane's daughter, that that daughter that she'd given birth to died two hours, you know, after that opening scene, that's a great twist. I think they don't, they, they miss an opportunity to add the emotional punch. Again, it might be tricky to do it the right way to get the right impact by not ever really bringing the original parents into the picture. I think there would have been a way to work them into the film. Again, it has to be the right way and it might've been very challenging, but I think there's a way maybe to work that in to, to add that emotional punch that the film might've been missing. Again, maybe they thought about it and just couldn't figure out a way to make it work and feel you know, right and authentic and in line with what they're going for with the film. But I think there might there, there might have been some opportunity there that they may have missed out on. But look, the twist works really well. And again, sort of the culmination of that scene where, you know, she drinks the the poison basically. I mean, I don't remember exactly what it was, but drinks the poison, I think is again a great twist there as well. It's a, sort of a, another twist on top of the um the, the reveal you're getting in that scene. And then, yeah, the hospital, it, it just feels like they didn't quite figure out how to land the plane in a way that really lived up to everything else before it. I think that, look, it's not a sin and not the first time, you know, you can't, you can't get the right exact final beat for your movie, but it certainly doesn't live up to what felt like, you know, an ama- you know, a masterpiece of a movie in John, or at least in genre filmmaking up to that point. And, and uh, Scott, I don't know if you saw this, but on Letterboxd, Anish Shigati is on Letterboxd. And a while ago, Chris Evangelista from Slash Film had reviewed yeah. this movie. And he said, I really liked it, but it lost me in the end. And, or, you know, it was a bit of a letdown in the end. And Anish Shigati commented on the review and said, like, yeah, thanks this. for checking it out, Chris. I agree with you. So I, I don't know what exactly that means. Like, I, you know, I, I imagine this happens, right? Like, I I don't think it's like a, he didn't have creative control thing. I don't, I don't think that it's anything like that. But it was probably just like a situation where like he just couldn't figure out how to write the ending for it. Like you said, like he, he yeah. couldn't land the plane in, in a way that satisfied him or obviously, you know, satisfied some viewers. And like, you know, it happens. John Grisham is one of the most popular authors and, and Stephen King too, like two of the most popular authors. And like, the most common criticism of them is that they can never write endings. Um, like, you know, every, every, everyone thinks that their endings are really badly, really bad. So like, uh, I don't know, that's just some interesting perspective on it that, you know, he wasn't happy with the way that it ended up as well. And, you know, after, after we're watching the movie, so, you know, talking about what we're talking about here, I kind of understand why. Yeah. Look, I, I also saw this and thought it was super interesting. Didn't realize he was on letterbox and promptly went to his letterbox page. And funny that you mentioned it, Scott misery is his favorite movie of all time. Is it really? Uh, it is. Yeah. It's or at least on, <laughs> it's on his favorite movies list for on, on letterbox, which is you know, maybe he's, maybe he's doing that right now because of the, because of run being out, you know, you know, sometimes maybe. people will do that on their letterbox. They will have their, their top four will be some kind of a theme. Like maybe if Mank with Mank is coming out, somebody might put their top four Fincher movies or something. On there. Like I, I've noticed people doing that before, but yeah, that's, that is interesting. Yeah. No, a funny side note that I wanted, I wanted to mention, but yeah, look, I, it, David, I mean, we were doing our, on our Fincher account. Now we talked about how David Fincher didn't like how the ending of, um, the game worked out yeah. right? like he was very disappointed with with and there and you know vo- pretty much is pretty vocal about how he doesn't really feel like he he was able to really get 
the movie to end the way in, in a fitting way. Whereas you have like Michael Douglas standing like it as the best movie of all time or something over here on the side. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I think it's super interesting when, when film, when you get that level of authenticity from filmmakers, it feels like very real. Um, what was it he said? I was trying to think, remember what he, oh, he said that we've made a movie where you literally cannot guess the ending. I think, yeah. isn't that what Michael Douglas said about Yeah, and, you, and he was saying this in a way that's like, this, it, it's like the one movie you can never guess the ending. I'm like, yeah, is that which a good is not thing? what you want. Is that a good thing, thing Michael? As we've talked about before, yeah. Yeah. Um, but super, yeah, super interesting point there. And look, sometimes it happens, right? And and sometimes you're, you're the victim of your own genre, right? And, and the narrative and the, you know, the expectations and the stereotypes of what you're working on. And I think that just might be the case with a movie like this, right? It's really hard to, to, you know, pave new ground, um, to break new ground in, in genres that have been, you know, well-tread over the past. And, you know, I think that it does a lot of breaking not necessarily new ground, but but making itself, you know, making this genre its own and doing its own original things with it, like you said, with the diverse casting, with the way it uses its diverse casting. I think there's a lot to compliment it for. And I, yeah, I'm not sure that the ending, it, it, does, it doesn't break into that new territory for the ending at least. But yeah. that's okay, because it's still a great film. It, it really is still a great film. And with that, why don't we go ahead and talk about that last, that last you know, scene, seven years later, Good news, Scott. It's like 2026 or 2027 in the scene, and no one's wearing masks, so the pandemic does go away. That's good news. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, Scott, what did you make of this last scene? I didn't know what to expect. I thought this was just going to be some sort of like cathartic final scene where she's like says goodbye to her mother and leaves this sort of like you know very difficult memory of her childhood behind. But it's kind of that, but more very literally. Um, with the way they portray the scene, which I guess for those of you still here, just as a reminder, like at the end of this moment where she's, you know, talking at her mother, very much talking at her, it's not a conversation. She says, goodbye, mom, basically, and pulls this sort of packet of pills out of her mouth that she's hidden from, you know, the searches and the metal detectors and whatnot earlier on. And it, you can see from the color of the pills, it is the you know, not die. I, I forget what the name of the medication is, but the green pills from earlier in the movie, that is the, the muscle Tri relaxers for the trigoxal. No, no, no. Like that, that. That's the fake name of the drug that she was. Oh doing. yeah. Not it's that, it's no. like a ritacin or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's going to be, you're going to have to know that for the, for, I, know, I, I, I always, I can't watch <laughs> movies normally anymore. Um, and then she, it, she acts as if she's going to shove these pills down her mom's throat. Uh, it doesn't show that, but that's certainly implied. Scott, what it, it seems like this is this didn't sit well with you, but I'd love to hear more about your thoughts. I mean, it's implied kind of that she has been doing this for quite a while, right? Because her mom is like laid up He's in bed, bed like can't yeah. move. And and you know, when she comes into the hospital uh, originally, the facility originally, they're like something something that one of the guards or something makes a comment to her about back for your monthly visit or so there's something that there's some line that comes up that establishes that she has been visiting her monthly yep. so yep. Um, you get the sense that this has been happening for i don't know again maybe it's just like the searching being his previous film right and that had such a like uplifting and like great ending with like the callback to you know the text of your mom would be proud of, or you know uh she would be proud of you or so. I can't remember exactly what the text is, but you know what I'm talking about. But um, when, when that comes back around, you know, it's a, it's a nice happy ending, a nice satisfying ending. They've repaired their relationship, whatever. Um, and yeah, you know, may, maybe the way that this movie is set up there, there couldn't really be a happy ending. 
Um, yeah. But I did expect more of the ending that you were talking about, Scott, where like she has kind of moved on. And like, I would have been like fine, honestly, if the scene was just her telling her mom all of this stuff. Um, because, yeah. you know, she's talking about how she um, is married now. She has a child. She's telling Sarah She's Paulson reunited all, with her birth parents. Right. She's, she's telling Sarah Paulson all, all about this stuff. Um, and Sarah Paulson is kind of just like watching like speechless. I mean, she doesn't say anything. Um, and I think that would have just been a nice moment of like, she's triumphed over the odds, right? She has, um, I mean, that, that alone kind of is her revenge, what, you know, but then we find out that she is actually taking revenge in a much darker way. And I don't know, I just didn't feel like maybe that was consistent with the character and that, you know, that, gives us a a message. Not that this is trying to be like a message movie or anything like that, but I feel like, you know, this was, you know, a movie that depicted this disabled character in such a positive way. And, you know, had her overcoming her triumphs and stuff like that for the, for it to then take this road where she is like taking, you know, equivalent revenge on her mom, doing the same thing that her mom did to her, which like, I mean, maybe other people will feel differently, but I don't really get any satisfaction out of that, right? Like, I, I don't find that to be, like, um, a, it, a satisfaction. It's troubling. It's troubling, yeah, right? It, it is, I don't, yeah. I don't think it's meant to be satisfying, though. And maybe this is where the, dis- right. the note that, you're, yeah. that you kind of wish the movie had had mm-hmm. to make you feel better about everything you watched for the previous 90 minutes, right? Which is understandable. But I think, again, maybe this is not quite in tune with something that is believable, but it's in tune with the theme of, like, when you traumatize someone, especially when a parent traumatizes a child, right? Those scars stick forever. And it doesn't matter how many good things and satisfying things you're doing with your life, but your marriage, you know, that you're able to have birth kids of your own. You're developing prosthetics for other children to help them walk. Like you're reunited with your birth parents. Like those scars are real and they're there forever. And I think that this movie shows you that there's not a happy ending always, or at least not a perfectly happy ending for someone who, who goes through what, Chloe went through for her childhood. There's just not a happy ending for that. Yes. I mean, I guess the message maybe is that she's been so damaged by this experience that she now feels like she has to go to such drastic lengths in order to get some kind of closure in the situation, right? Like that's, that's the only way that she can feel like she can repair the damage that has been done to her over the years. Like simply moving on, simply finding family, her birth parents, all of that that's not quite enough. Like she has to make her mother feel the same pain that she felt. Even if for me, like on a moral level, I'm just like, I, that makes me feel a little bit icky, but yeah, maybe that was the goal. Maybe it accomplished its goal. I, I fully acknowledge that it's not a yeah. black and white. Like this was an objectively bad ending or anything. Yeah. It certainly was troublesome. Not that you have to feel like that. You don't have to feel good for an ending to be good. Right. I mean, I was sure. throwing out Phantom Thread from the movie was technically 2017, but we reviewed it on one of the first. I just first didn't episodes. think it was that type of movie, right? Until this yeah. very last scene, like Phantom Thread. You know, it's you can you can see how that movie, you can see the direction that movie is going in. No, that, that's pretty that's early that, on now. Absolutely, yeah. I know. I, I definitely gets more thematically in tune with with what that movie is doing. But this ending reminded me a lot of that. And uh, look. I think it's definitely a social commentary point about trauma about trauma and things like that. But that's not what the movie is about for the most part. So I totally hear what you're saying at the same time. But it, it still worked for me in that way as I've thought more about it. But it was jarring. It was really jarring when you're watching it because you feel like, it, it, the, you know, the, the resolution of the film comes like she, you know, she isn't abducted by her mother again. 
and you breathe this sigh of relief at the end of the hospital scene. And, uh, you know, the next scene after that doesn't really quite hit that same note. All right. Anything else you want to add or do you want to enter the wrap up? Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's uh, about all I had to add. Favorite scene then? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's hard not to pick that sort of physical set piece that we talked about in the middle of the movie. It's really strong. Um, but, you know, I will also highlight the big reveal when, you know, she finds all of the photos. She finds yeah. the, you know, we didn't mention the college acceptance letter, right? Like, here's here's another common plot point in um, both both movies, both Shiganti movies, right? Because Margot is obviously applying to the music observatory and, that's how the film ends with her refreshing the page or whatever. And in this movie, Chloe is really wants to go to the university of Washington and it's set up that, Hey, she's waiting on a letter. Her mom says, I'll give you the letter when, um, you know, when, whenever it arrives, don't worry. And, you know, she eventually finds out that her mom did not give her the letter that her mom has been sitting on her acceptance letter the whole time. Um, and, and so, you know, finding all of that stuff, realizing what's going on, uh, I think was a, you know, it was a good um, re reveal, like lift, lifting of the curtain, so to speak, um, that as we've already mentioned, I think worked for both of us kind of, you know, on a similar level to the way that some of the big moments in some of the big reveals in searching work, like the, you know, th about the guy in the photo, the fish and chips popping back up, all of that stuff. I think he's really good at landing those moments and making them make sense, right? Like, it's it's not like it's some out of left field Shyamalani twist or anything like that. It's like you you understand how we got from point A to here, like the whole time. So absolutely credit to Shiganti. Yeah, for me, it's one of those scenes that I mentioned earlier on in the episode about building tension. Right, I love the scene where she's on the phone calling this random guy, asking him to look up this medicine called trigoxin, um, and it, all the while she's also she has one eye out the window looking at her mother out in the garden to make sure she hasn't come back inside because she's in her mom's room on her mom's telephone. And the way that it goes back and forth in this scene and the way, you know, you hold your breath when, you know, the mother, when Diane leaves the, leaves the garden and you wonder if she's going to come upstairs. And the whole time you think it's leading to her getting sort of caught in this act, right? And how is she going to explain this one away that in a way that makes sense? But it doesn't ever reach that point and she is able to finish that conversation and, the way you're able to build that tension without ever really sort of getting the payoff and you get the release at the very end. It's a perfect tension building scene for me. I, I love that scene. Yeah, it's a good one. Put a score on it, Scott. Out of 10. 7.9. This is a really solid uh, thriller, really solid uh, genre exercise um, that I think works really, really well for a long time. Um, doesn't quite stick the landing like searching does, but again, it's, it's hard to compare anything to searching. And I think the important thing is we come away from this realizing that Shiganti is the real deal. And I'm going to be just as excited for his next movie, whatever it may be as I was for this movie. And, you know, I, I hope that he'll continue making little movies like this and not get caught up in the studio machine, but it's going to be hard for someone of his talent uh, and ability. And I think people are starting to catch on, um, you know, with these couple of movies now, it's going to be hard for him to stay out of the studio machine, so to speak, but um, it would be nice to see um, another one of, uh, you know, these types of movies before we get there. Yeah. I mean, look, and the reality is I think of filmmaking at this point is that oftentimes you'll see directors do sort of the one for you, one for me approach. 
So even if he does enter the directorial stratosphere, so to speak, and, and, and get in bed with more of the studios, I mean, of course, you know, Searching was still a Screen Gems. It was a Sony movie, right? This is Lionsgate. It's a little bit smaller, but still a major studio. Um, but yeah, look, he's he's able to do a lot on a relatively small budget with these types of projects. And I hope he gets to continue to make those. And if he gets his big break on a bigger movie, I hope he still is able to make it his own and put his, you know, directorial authorship on it and and make a movie that feels good for him. Because when he's making movies that are his, clearly they are some of the best movies out there. I'm giving it an 8.0. I think you're 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 robbing yourself if you don't get to if you don't get if you don't give this one a chance if you have Hulu. Yeah, totally. It's it's totally solid considering the field of movies we've gotten this year. Absolutely. It's in my top ten right now. I don't know if it's in your top ten, but it's in my top ten right now. I don't even think it's in my top twenty. But I will say movies have been getting quite good recently. This this yeah. past week I watched what is my new favorite film of the year, which is Possessor, the Brandon Cronenberg film. So uh, we're, we're getting there, right? Like it's, we're yeah. not going to get to 2019, 2018, 2017 levels or anything like that, but I am getting to a point where like, I'm going to be able to look at my top 10. I feel like when we, whenever we do our list episode and feel like, okay, there's 10 great movies in here. I think, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, 2020 salvaged itself. Yeah, look, you've also seen a couple of the big hitters that I haven't, which I think I wouldn't be surprised if they end up, you know, near the top of my list by, the, you know, whenever we hit, whenever we call the end of this year the end, who even who even knows? We were discussing this uh, in our own little chat earlier. Yeah. Like, like, what what counts as a twenty twenty movie, right? In in ways we normally think about it, it, it's not as clear. I don't think, but overall, yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm not there where I look at my list and say there have been ten great movies this year, but there's certainly a lot of really great looking films left for me to watch this year. I was making my watch list last, last week and at the time it was 30. And I don't think those 30 movies are going to be at the top of my list, but there's 30 movies that I still want to see that might count as 2020 films if not like early 2021 movies. So there's a lot out there still that I'm really excited about. And look, I hope that this year ends up in, I'd say 2018 is probably the weakest of the last three years overall top, like top to bottom in my top 10. I mean, Searching is one of my favorite movies of the decade, but I, I think that list gets a little bit weaker outside the top four or five. If it reaches 2018 level, I'll be satisfied with 2020 salvaging itself for sure. All right, well, that should do it for our discussion of Run. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll be talking about some huge news for Warner Brothers and HBO Max, as well as another round of awards updates, specifically the nominations for the Critics' Choice Super Awards, whatever that is. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It's Scott. As I mentioned before the break, the first piece of news we have is an absolute bomb that dropped, I think, Friday or Thursday. I don't remember when it officially dropped, but the news came out through, I think at first it was a leaked, it was like leaked promotional material for Wonder Woman 1984 that said, that was quickly taken offline when it was released, but then later that day they just went ahead and released it, whether they originally meant to or not. But the poster that they were releasing, the new poster said, coming to theaters and HBO Max on December 25th. And at first, you know, when this came out, it's like, wow, this is incredible. Like, this is absolutely crazy if this is true, right? Um, and it seemed like it was going to be true because no one makes that poster <laughs> unless they, unless that it intend, unless that's intended for. 
and it came out later. That, that is true. And Wonder Woman 1984 is coming out day and date, theatrical and streaming on HBO Max on December 25th. So you know, if you're able to and feel comfortable going out and seeing in theaters on December 25th, which I would love to be able to feel comfortable doing that. I don't know if I will, but I'd love to be able to go see it in, in IMAX here in Boston. Uh, it will be out in theaters still on December 25th. That's not changing. If you can't or don't feel comfortable doing that, it will be on HBO Max for you and the whole family to enjoy, Scott. And, and you know, my instant reaction to that was, there is no way this happens and if HBO Max were not inc- like very underperforming right now. You know, in terms of streaming services and from the major studios, you know, Peacock is, you know, massively, especially for the fact that they didn't have the Tokyo Olympics this year, massively outperforming its streaming targets. And uh, HBO Max, which was the other one that that sort of dropped in the middle of the pandemic. Okay, I should say Quibi, if that counts. I mean, that that, that's dead in the water already. But it's not a thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, HBO Max, though, the other sort of big studio streamer release during the pandemic, that one, which seemed like it would be a slam dunk because it's literally just translating HBO subscribers over to HBO Max, but maybe it's the high price point. Who knows what it might be? It has underperformed in terms of subscriber counts. And Scott, I do not think that Wonder Woman 1984 would be going day and date to HBO Max on Christmas Day if their streamer numbers weren't as you know underperforming as we see them to be. Because this, I can't think of this any other way except it's a play to get their subscriber count up. It's awesome for the people who already have HBO Max and even people who are willing to shell out the $15 or a free trial if they have a free trial. I don't think they'll have a free trial around this, but we'll see. Um, that's going to be, that's awesome for them, right? But I just don't think that's happening if they weren't trying to boost that subscriber count. It's huge news though. And can you, I mean, Black Widow, right? The next day it was like, everyone's asking Disney, are you considering releasing Black Widow on streaming? No, is the answer, answer to that question. They're not planning on doing that because, you know, Milan wasn't the big success, but we'll see how Soul does. But Scott, the real reaction to this, like it seemed like forever, right? Like Tenet came out in theaters, another Warner Brothers property or another Warner Brothers film, you know, came out in theaters and, you know, despite the odds and despite maybe, you know, best judgment, you know, it gets pushed out in the theaters. They kept delaying Wonder Woman over and over and over. And I now actually see that it's coming out day and date with a theatrical release on HBO Max. What do you think? I mean, first I want to say that I think it's a shame that HBO Max is underperforming because in terms of the content that they have on the service, like it is up there for me and like the Netflix, I mean, maybe like second only to Netflix right now from what I've seen. I mean, like quantity, no, but yes, maybe, maybe. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of movies on HBO Max, but also, you know, maybe it's just me. Like I am not the typical viewer, right? Like I watch movies for trivia uh, I just have like random movies that I go seek out for my watch list on Letterbox, whatever. But the point is, I feel like, you know, quite often recently, whether it's the trivia movie, whether it's just something that I want to watch, I go to just watch me, whatever, you know, at aggregate, aggregate site that tells you where it's something is streaming. And like, it's on HBO Max. I've watched a lot of stuff on HBO Max recently, like over the past few months might be the most used streaming service that I have. Yeah. So well that's also because um, you're you're watching the Studio Ghibli movies right now, which are all on HBO Max. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I that that is true, but other movies as well. But so so that's that's a shame. Maybe people maybe people maybe this shows that people are more interested in TV, right? And like you can get the HBO TV shows without having to get HBO Max, right? Like isn't that true? Or like you not anymore. Okay. Okay. 
I wasn't sure if like HBO Go was well. I, yeah, so HBO Go and HBO Now are just rolled, and you're now an HBO Max subscriber. Okay. I'm not. What I'm not sure about is how it works if you subscribe to HBO through like Amazon Prime or Hulu. I'm yeah. not sure how that works. Like you might be able to get the HBO specific yeah. content, so not the technically HBO the channel, Max content. Yeah. yeah so you you get shows like I don't know Lovecraft Country or The Undoing or the outsider from earlier this year, you get all that stuff through that, but you wouldn't get like Harley Quinn on HBO max or like that, the flight attendant or whatever that HBO max show that is, that's coming out. Um, yeah. you wouldn't. Get um, that. yeah, but Scott, I mean, I like this decision. I am going to be interested to see how it happens. Like I'm glad it's still going to theaters, right? Because yeah. I still feel okay going to theaters at this current time. Um, you know, my first couple of times I had a kind of a bad experience, but every time that I've been since then, everyone has really followed the rules. North Carolina is in the like bottom uh, quarter of states in terms of like COVID cases. So that's a, uh, that's a positive as well. I think they're 33rd yeah, or something like that. Um, so, I mean, and I, I want to go see this in theaters right now. I think I probably will go see this in theaters unless something changes, like I said, but the streaming option is there too, which I think is going to, um, you know, get more people to HBO Max. You know, from a business perspective, makes sense. Um, after what we saw with, um, well, you, you know, this is it's it's a different movie, right? Like it's different from Mulan. Even like I, I know Mulan would have been a a big ticket movie in theaters, like it would have made in the hundreds of millions probably. But we're it's talking about yeah. you know. A, a massive superhero franchise, a massive superhero movie. The the follow up to what a billion still, dollar movie. Yeah, and many still consider it to be the best in the DCEU. Um, so I I mean the trailers look really good for this. So I mean I I'm glad that somebody has made a move, right? Like I I, I don't like all of this like standstill, just continuously pushing such and such. Like I I want another big movie to like at least try the theater theaters thing. Um, and I think we're going to get to see that. Although, you know, again, with there it being the be streaming. It won't be successful in theaters, though. I mean, it won't be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. With, uh, that's what I was going to say. With the streaming options still available, like, probably a lot of people will just elect to use the streaming option. Um, but it's it's progress, right? Like, it, it is a um, scenario that you could see if, if, you know, it does a reasonable amount of success you, you could see other studios you know again maybe not marvel or you know we're, we're probably not going to see black widow on this um but you know maybe we get no time to die via stream uh, well it seems like they're like the the broccoli family is what is holding that up so we, we, ta we um, talked about that in the, on yeah. the podcast right about how they they negotiated with apple tv and with netflix but they wanted like 700 million dollars yeah for the movie yeah so so i don't i can't think of another example off the top of my head but uh the point is this is massive this could be one of the biggest decisions in you know movie history in modern movie history honestly depending on how it goes um yeah. and you know i i am interested to see um how this is going to play out i'm excited that i'll get an opportunity one more opportunity this year to see a big studio movie in theaters um yeah and yeah, I hope the movie's good. That's all I have to say, I guess.
Look, your Christmas Day is looking pretty nice, right? Like, I mean, Grand, you'll you'll be, of course, last you'll, episode I mean, of Jeopardy. Yeah, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't say, of course, but yeah, last episode of Jeopardy. You're going to be home in Chattanooga, so you you know maybe you go see in this movie by yourself, then you come home and you watch Soul with the you know with the parents and with the whole family because that's going to be on Disney Plus, uh, not behind a paywall on uh, on December 25th. So, good day of content. Hashtag content coming up for you on December 25th. Yeah, no, no kidding. It'll be an emotional roller coaster, probably. <laughs> Yeah, you have to you have to plan what order you see all those things, and just make sure you're getting the right emotional notes after each one. But Scott, with that, we can shift gears and and get the awards update from you, and we'll let you talk about the nominees for the Critics Choice Super Awards. Yeah, so this is like you remember when the Oscars said that they were going to do a best popular film category for like how could I forget two, two minutes? Yeah, and then they they uh, rightfully changed their mind. This is like if they decided we're gonna, they were going to do an entire award show just for best popular films. Um, that's what the Critics' Choice uh, Association has decided to do. Obviously, the Critics' Choice Awards is an annual event, um, and as part of the Critics' Choice Awards, right? Like they do have like these more genre-specific awards. They have had those in the past, like Best Action Movie, Best Comedy. I think is also one. Um, you know, there's like some young actors and I, there may even be like best actor or actress in an action movie. But now I, I guess I, I, this isn't confirmed uh, in my mind at least, but um, I guess that they're doing away with those awards from the regular critics choice awards and just sort of phasing those into this separate ceremony that is going to be happening on uh, January the 10th going to air on the CW get excited. But yeah, so the, there it, we were talking about this before, like, it's hilarious that they picked this year to do this because like we have the best action movie category, right? And normally we'd be getting, you know, Marvel, DC, James Bond, Mission Impossible, Fast and Furious, you know, pick your franchises. And instead we have like Extraction, Greyhound, The Hunt, um, and The Five Bloods, right? Which I, is not even an action movie if we're being is quite Tenet, honest. Is Tenet not in there? Is Tenet in a different category? So ten, Tenet, is, Tenet is in there, but like that's one you would expect to see in there is my point. I think that the, no, no matter the year, right? Like even in a normal year, you'd expect Tenet to be in there. Um, but the fact that like all of these streaming action, I mean, it's, it's funny to me that Extraction gets in, but The Old Guard, right? Which I think was better, it's in, was it's more It's in a well different received. category. It's in a different category. Okay, so it's a, it must be in like the sci-fi category. Um, I was looking but, at it. It's in like the superhero category or something. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. But anyway, so so that's the type of thing we're talking about here. They, you know, they have awards for performances and action movies, um, which I think is a cool concept, right? There's like, too I many think, categories, though, Scott. This is the thing. Maybe it's just a particular year. There's too many categories, like, and and it's the double-edged sword, right? Like like we talked about with the Oscars when you know they did the best popular film thing. It's like. Do we want these movies to be recognized and these performances to be recognized? Yes, absolutely. But the principle of creating a different award so it that they are recognized. Down. Yeah. It, like we don't want them to be recognized just for the sake of recognizing them. We want them to be recognized on the same level as, you know, uh, any, any regular prestige movie. And by, you know, singling them out for the separate award or in this case, separate ceremony, it's like, Yep. These this is lesser entertainment. This is for the masses. And which in some sense is true. I mean, look, I just talked about extraction and Mulan, uh, you know, the, yeah. that, the, the, these are not really cool. Look, it's the films. most watched movie on Netflix. Extraction, period, ever. Yeah. Um 
which is quite a shame. I, in my, you know, if, if in a perfect world, Candy Jar would be the most watched movie on that. Well, Netflix, anyway. Netflix original, I guess. I yeah. Say. I don't know. If, is Candy Jar a Netflix movie? It, oh, it is. Yeah, it is. that's why. I, that was the one that I said. But yeah, Scott, here we go. Blake Lively is nominated for the rhythm section in uh, Best yeah. Actress so in an the, Action the, Movie. I kid you not. This is the point in the nominations where I closed it because I was like, this is absurd. Hillary Swank, who was in, I think, one scene in The Hunt, right, like yep. is nominated for Best Actress in an Action Movie. But yeah, we also have animated movies being singled out, which kind of doesn't make sense, right? Because they're already part of normal award ceremonies, even the Oscars. So I don't understand why they wouldn't keep that as part of the regular Critics' Choice what is Awards. It, is it like Onward, Soul, Trolls World Tour, and like, what else? Uh, Onward, Over the Moon, a Sean Sheet movie, Farmageddon, Soul, The Willoughbys, and Wolfwalkers. The Willoughbys. Okay, yeah, The Willoughbys. Okay. Wolfwalkers is the one from the like Irish studio, I think, that did like The Tale of Princess Kagoya and Song of the Sea, and uh, I think. But anyway. Um, but yeah, then we have like, you know, voice actors and stuff like that, superhero movies being singled okay. out, which the only good of which was uh, was Birds of Prey. But um, The Old Guard was better. That is false, but uh, we, we won't get into that. Horror is getting uh, singled out, which, you know. But what, I'm, what I will say about Birds of Prey, if it does not win every freaking category that it's in, it yeah. is absurd that it doesn't win every category. I'm glad to see horror getting uh, recognized here with, you know, Freaky, the Invisible Man, and The Rental, which we kind of like. Did Possessor get in? Possessor, no. Which Relic, though, it, Okay, Relic. sorry. It is in Best Sci-Fi Movie, Possessor. Relic is in a horror okay, that, movie, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think Possessor is more of a horror movie, but fair. But but yeah, no, Possessor, I, I don't think I had even scrolled that far down to see that. But I'm, I'm very happy to, to see that. Like I said, this is my favorite movie of the year so far. Christopher Abbott and Andrea Riseborough are both this nominated. Is, this is Scott's version of Doom Scrolling right here. He's just Doom Scrolling the Super, <laughs> yeah. the super Awards right now. Best villain in a movie. Uh, Catherine Newton getting nominated for Freaky, which is pretty cool. Does, um, Harry, does Harry Melling get in there for uh, The Old Guard? Harry Melling didn't make it for any of his stuff this year. <laughs> he didn't make it for Devil all the time either. Or I mean, I was, he wasn't really a villain in The Queen's Gambit. But um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of... Palm Springs is kind of the movie that yeah, was getting a lot of recognition on the, the comedy front as well. Yeah, and that you exciting. I love that film. Which is a really good movie, yeah. So um, again, it will. it's great that these movies will get recognized in some capacity, but I hope that people will realize that this is not what we want, right? Like we want yep. them to be recognized. I mean, like, I don't want, you know, I think Tenet is a really good movie. Do I want it getting nominated for Best Picture? No. But, like, what Mission Impossible Fallout, for example, that is a movie to me which, like, deserved consideration for Best Picture just because of all it accomplished, I felt like. But we could we could have, we could go on and on and on about this. Look, I'm not going to disagree with you about Mission Impossible Fallout. I will respectfully disagree with you about, I think, what I've seen so far. Look, I've got a lot of movies left to see. Tenet is the best picture nominee for me this year so far. Sure, but it is a weird year, so there is that. Obviously. Absolutely, but, but totally agree. Uh, it is a weird year. But yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have too much else to add there, except you know, I, I am rooting for you know some of my favorite movies from this year, like Possessor and Freaky, to, to get yep. recognized here. Absolutely. Is that it? Anything, anything, anything else it, yeah. you discovered on the scroll? Any other like I said, no, I, there, I, I got to where the TV section was. So I, you is know, the Queen's I, Gambit I'm in there? No longer interested in I don't think so because it's, 
It doesn't it's really drama, fit in it's any drama. Yeah, it's not and drama, it is no. the definition of a prestige like yeah TV series, it, right? which genre, is what this yeah. is not for. That is, this is not for prestige. Tenets prestige. I'll wait for people yeah. to prove me wrong. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right, that should just about do it for episode 117 of Sunlight and Scott. Do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Um, we got to watch Hillbilly Elegy next week, and I'm really not excited. That is a thought. That is that is what however, the dictionary would call a thought. However, what I will say is, instead of watching Hillbilly Elegy, you guys should watch. Well, number one, you should watch Possessor. But uh, I haven't actually watched any of them yet because the only one is out. But I know they're going to be good. Steve McQueen's new miniseries. Uh, miniseries, but it is a collection of five movies, and they're going to be coming out over the next five weeks on Amazon, uh, one every Friday. The first one is called Mangrove. It came out j- this Friday. Lover's Rock, which is a movie that people have been raving about for several months now, is the next one to come out on um, on Friday. And then the week after that, there's a movie, I think, called Red, White, and Blue that stars John Boyega. Yeah. Um so I, I, you know, Steve McQueen, I think is a fantastic director. Um, and so I think if not, even if every movie isn't amazing, like there's going to be one or two in here that are probably going to be among the best stuff of the year. So if you have prime check out mangrove now, check out every, you know, the rest of them as they come out instead of watching hillbilly. With that. So I'm curious and not to take us down too much more of a path as we end the episode here, but I'm assuming those would not be would not qualify for awards consideration at something like the Oscars, but they probably would qualify for something like best TV movie or best limited series. Like it's like it's basically an anthology series ultimately, right? The, the way it's being presented. Like how, I don't know how to like how like where is it going to qualify? Yeah, the I, Emmys or the Oscars ultimately? Yeah, I don't know because I mean people are treating it treating them all like movies. I mean they are, they are movies. Um, like sure. it, it is a collection of five movies, but yeah, I, I, I don't know since it is under this moniker of small acts, right? Like small acts is like this name for the entire thing. And so the fact that there is like this overarching so it's probably moniker for the entire thing makes you think it will be referred to as, as a limited series. And, you know, nowadays, like I know that like lovers rock is like 75 minutes or something, which is like, you know, that's that qualified. That might not qualify for, I mean, it has to be over a certain length to qualify as not a short film. I don't remember how long that is. Oh yeah, maybe so. But anyway, that's like that's uh that's like the link that you would expect from an episode of a limited series. But also, like Mangrove is over two hours, which you wouldn't expect from a limited series. So. Yeah, I mean, look like like episodes of Sherlock are all an hour and a half, like to the right. to the T. They're almost all ninety minutes long. So right. Anyway, all right, yeah, no, absolutely. Steve McQueen, his last film was Widows back in twenty eight. That was twenty eighteen. Yeah, we were just talking about it. Um, Not to mention, you know, the Best Picture winner. 12 Years a Slave as well. Absolutely, yeah. From, was it 2013? Uh, yes. 2013 Oscars or 2013 movie? I can never remember. 2013 movie. Yeah, 2014 Oscars, yeah. Okay. All right, with that piece of trivia done, where can people find you on Twitter, Scott? Uh, you can find me at Scarby Dent. And I can be found at shelton2013 on Twitter or on Letterboxd. Probably better to follow me on Letterboxd. You'll, you'll get more updates from me there than on Twitter probably. Uh, but you can also find our podcast on Twitter. That's at Media Plug Pods. You can also subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the episode notes. And please don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Our Patreon has a bunch of different reward tiers. You can check them out for yourself. And even supporting and pledging to the podcast at the $1 level would be a huge help to us um, as we make this a more profitable venture. Uh, Check out the Patreon for yourself. Again, www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. 
If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, um, Stitcher, wherever else you find your podcasts, where we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed as well as subscribed and shared so that we continue to reach a broader audience. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. And we'll be back next week with, as Scott mentioned, a review of Hillbilly Elegy. That is Netflix's, uh, well, once upon a time, Oscar hopeful, but I'd say that, uh, that Oscar hopeful arrived dead in the water overall. But uh, I guess we'll give our thoughts on that next week after we watch the movie and see if we think the critics have it right so far or if they're dead wrong. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody.